book of John, chapter 8. Oh, yeah, those things. Please pass it all the way around. Some of you, it gets to you and you stick it under your chair for later, I think. No, this is the offering. There's also, you can give online. Uh, we do have to pay the rent here, which is always nice, huh? Nice to have a wonderful facility with heating and air conditioning. We're talking about a, uh, a process of training and equipping everyone. Our goal is to equip, we're all saints. Our goal is to see everyone equipped to do the work of the ministry. The problem with that is that we often start at different levels, different backgrounds, different uh, understandings of the word. And so sometimes it takes a little while to take everyone forward so I want to just challenge you, those of you who are more mature in some of the stuff we're talking about, growing in the Spirit, I want to encourage you to have the fruit of the Spirit, which is patience, long-suffering. See, sometimes uh, some of us just want to get to the good stuff. I don't want this foundational stuff. Let's just get to healing. Let's just pray for healing. But for us to continue in that, we have to lay the right foundation for many people. You know the old uh, proverb, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, teach him to fish, you feed him for his lifetime. I want to add to that, teach him to teach others to fish and you feed the whole world. Aha! That was good, huh? So you can get someone to pray for you when you're sick, which is wonderful. But then you can also learn to press into Jesus but then you can also learn to partner with Jesus to pray for others. Okay? We're talking about tearing down strongholds. I want to deal with the stronghold of religion today. I believe God wants to set some people free that religion is a vile, ugly, evil counterfeit. Now let me tell you what Jesus says about it instead of what I say. I'm a bit passionate, so I'm telling you right up front, I'm a bit passionate today. John chapter 8, from verse 44, Jesus speaking to the Pharisees, who were the religious people, who were people who their whole purpose in life was teaching a system that was pointing to a coming Messiah. And when the Messiah came, they were so caught up in the system that they missed. So Jesus says this, you are of your father, the devil. You think I was passionate? <laughs> we, some of us have this picture of Jesus as this really nice guy with a white robe and very gentle and he always spoke softly and he cared for everyone and then he comes to the Pharisees. He says, you're of your father, the devil. Ooh. And the desires of your father, you want to do. You want to do exactly what he's, he's actually saying. Religion is born of the devil. And those caught up in it are actually doing the desire of the devil. 
He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks from his own resources, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Talking about religion. It's a lying deception. It's a counterfeit of the truth that makes us think we can do something on our own without God. We're going to get to that in a second. Matthew chapter 16. Verse 6, Jesus speaking to his disciples says, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's saying there's something about this religious thing that kind of creeps back in. Now, here are guys who are walking with Jesus, and he's warning them, be careful of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. The Pharisees were the religious people, had turned uh, religion into legalistic rules outward. We're going to talk about it in a second. The Sadducees were anti-supernaturalists. They didn't believe in anything supernatural. He says, beware, be careful. If he's saying it to the disciples when he's there with them, how much more does it apply to us? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of religion. One more, Matthew chapter 7. In the same category, verse 15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they're ravenous wolves. I think you can apply this to religion as well. You will know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes from thorn bushes or figs from thistles? Even so, every good tree bears good fruit, but a bad tree bears bad fruit. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, and a, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. What's he saying? He's saying religion can only bear bad fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by their fruits, you will know them. Turn with me over to Matthew 23. We're gonna, I want to talk about recognizing religion by its fruit. That's exactly what Jesus is talking about here. Understanding that when he addresses the Pharisees, He's talking about the whole concept of religion. So recognizing what is the fruit of religion. Matthew 23, verse 3 says, Therefore, whatever they tell you to observe, that observe and do. But do not do according to their works, for they say and do not do. One of the first fruits of religion is saying and not doing. Religious people can have the right theology about God, but it doesn't translate into right actions. I hope none of you ever say that to your kids. Do what I say, not what I do. Because that's the epitome of hypocrisy. And that's what Jesus is talking about religion. We say the right things. People who are religious can say the right things, but they don't do it. He says, you know them by the fruit. Take a good look at their life. Are they doing what they say? Or are they doing something different? That's a really tough thing. 
one of the reasons we do added to the church and we do it at our house because every seminary in the U.S., I'm not sure about Australia, I haven't lived here that long, but every seminary in the U.S. teaches prospective pastors to don't let people come into your home because they'll see what you're really like and that your life doesn't match up to your message. And they'll get disappointed and hurt and leave. We want you to see what we're really like. We're going to disappoint you right up front. (laughs) Our life is trying to match up to a message. Verse 4. They bind heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on men's shoulders, but they themselves will not move them with one of their fingers. Second fruit of religion is putting burdens on others. Religious people get focused on others' behavior. None of you have ever done that, have you? But maybe you've been the recipient of that. Where people are constantly telling you what you're doing wrong. Focus on someone else. Bind, put heavy burdens on people rather than freedom. Uh, for the sake of time, I'm going to jump ahead to verse 12. Kind of a culmination. Ah, no, actually, I'll read it all. <laughs> uh, verse 5. But all their works they do to be seen by men. They make their borders of their robe broad and enlarge the borders of their garments. They love the best places and feasts, the best seats in the synagogue, greetings in the marketplace. They love to be called rabbi. But you do, do not be called rabbi, for one is your teacher, the Christ. And you are all brethren. And sistren, sistren, <laughs> do not call anyone on earth your father, for one is your father, he who is in heaven. And do not be called teachers, for one is your teacher, the Christ. But, the, but he who is greatest among you will be your servant, and whoever exalts himself will be humbled. He who humbles himself will be exalted. One of the fruits of religion is self-promotion. I want to look good. I want everyone to see what I've done. Kind of, if you ever do anything right, you just want to make sure everyone knows about it. None of you have this, I'm sure. But woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you shut up the kingdom of heaven against men, for you neither go in yourselves, nor do you allow those who are entering to go in. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you devour widows' houses, and for a pretense make loud, long prayers. Therefore you will receive greater condemnation. What are you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you travel land and sea to win one proselyte, and when he is one, you make him twice as much a son of hell as yourself. <laughs> this is Jesus! Religion leads people to hell. Do you wonder why Jesus says, beware of this? Verse 16, what do you blind guides who say, whoever swears by the temple, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold on the temple, he's obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gold on the temple, the gold or the temple that sanctifies the gold. 
Whoever swears by the altar, it is nothing, but whoever swears by the gold or the gift that is on it is obliged to perform it. Fools and blind, for which is greater, the gift or the altar that sanctifies the gift? Therefore, he who swears by the altar swears by it and all things in it. He who swears by the temple swears by it and by him who dwells in it. And he who swears by heaven swears by the throne of God and him who sits on it. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you pay tithe of mint and anise and cunning, and come in and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, for you cleanse the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you're full of extortion and self-indulgence. One of the fruits of religion is that we focus on the wrong things. Sometimes we get caught up in the details. Is it pre-trib rapture or post-trib rapture? And churches split over something like that. You might think it's important. I want to tell you, if there is a rapture, I'm going. Not because I believe in the rapture, but because I believe in Jesus. So it's not that important. Get people focused on Jesus. You cleanse the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside's full of extortion and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisees first cleanse the inside of the cup and dish, that the outside of them may be clean also. What do you, scribes and Pharisees, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which indeed appear beautiful and outwardly, but outwardly, but inside are full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. This is Jesus. How would you like to be the Pharisees? What are you pastors? See, one of the fruits is the attempt to look good on the outside, but not changing the inside. Mary had, Mary had a dream last week, and I asked if I could share her dream, but in her dream, this man came to her and he was tall and he was good looking and he had a wonderful smile and a suit and a clerical collar and he reached out to, to shake her hand smiling and at the same time with his other hand was touching her inappropriately and she yelled at him and, and said, you can't do that and kicked him. I wondered, what was that? And as we were praying later on, we realized that's religion. Looks good. Smiles reaches out to shake your hand, but inside is full of uncleanness and pollution. That's why Jesus hated it. I'm going to add one more that isn't here. And so this isn't necessarily the Bible, but I think it's actually true. And that the fruit of religion, those affected by religion, find it very difficult to express affirmation and affection. Often looking at the failures and miss 
the good. Now that doesn't mean they don't have affection in their heart. But it just means sometimes it doesn't get out. See, the problem is you know your heart. Nobody else does. Oh, but if you only knew my heart. I only know your heart by what you say. If all that comes out of your mouth is correction and criticism, that's all anyone else knows. I was ministering in Singapore a number of years ago. I'd done a whole thing which we're going to get to next week on just uh, our value that comes from our culture. And uh, was talking about criticism and uh, the whole focus that becomes criticism and Afterwards, you know, we were getting free from that. And afterwards, I saw this man with his wife and his kids. He had got, gone and got his wife and kids from the, the, uh, the kids from the children's ministry was there and, and had them, was hugging them, and was weeping, sobbing. And I asked him, what's going on? He said, all my life, all I ever heard from my dad was criticism. I was never good enough, no matter what I did. I worked hard, I did extra, I just never matched up. He said, I've realized, I've become my dad. And so he's repenting to his wife and kids for his critical, religious heart. Have a proverb in the States. It's what you do speaks so loud, I can't hear what you're saying. Opposite of religion. Religion says, listen to what I say. Don't look at what I do. The fruit of religion is not good. But I don't want to leave it there. Turn with me to Galatians. I don't ever want to be known as a church about what we're against, but what we're for. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. Really is the fruit of the Spirit, but the fruit of intimacy with God. That's what the Spirit is. It's the fruit of intimacy with God. And it says, the fruit of the Spirit is love. I'm going to, let me jump aside here. I'm going to speak quickly. You know that the Pharisees come to Jesus and they ask him, what's the greatest commandment? Talking about the old covenant. And Jesus says this, the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. On these two depend all the law and the prophets. We've taken that and say, that's what we should do in the kingdom. Love God and love others as ourselves. Jesus actually went on and said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another as I have loved you. We could get away that the summation of the old covenant was love God and love others as you love yourself. There's a self-preservation in there. There's a, a not doing harm. 
But Jesus says you're to love others as I've loved you. A sacrificial laying down your life love that is totally different that you can't do without the power of the Spirit. Sorry, I'm getting excited and spitting. (laughs) Dangerous over here. That's why we need intimacy. Without that, we reduce the kingdom to the old covenant. As long as I don't do harm. No, it's a sacrificial. Sorry, that was my aside. Joy. Result of intimacy with God, the fruit of intimacy with God is joy. Psalm says, in your presence is fullness of joy. I'm going to preach on the fruit of the Spirit at some point in this series a month or two from now. But let me say this. The fruit of the Spirit is not about character development that you can accomplish on your own. It is a byproduct of intimacy with God. For too often, if we don't have that, we make it character We focus on, I should be loving, I should have joy, I should have peace, I should be patient. And if I'm disciplined enough and I work hard enough, I can have those. And the whole concept of fruit is it is a byproduct of the life of the tree. It's not a matter of, I can make this happen, that's religion. It's a byproduct of intimacy. I am excited, huh? Fruit is... Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. That's an amazing one. Self-control is a fruit of the spirit of intimacy with God. Don't answer this except in your heart, how many of you would like your spouse to have all this? (laughs) Or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, or your parents, or your kids, or your friends, your dog, anybody? See, we, we see that. Now, how many of you would like that? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Beware of religion. How do we respond to this? Three things. First one is we've got to recognize and hate religion. Oh, but Jesus says love. Jesus hated religion because it is a devilish, evil ugly counterfeit of intimacy with God. It says, I can do it on my own. If I can just be good enough, I can obey all the rules. I can be acceptable to God. I can transform and change myself. The whole concept of the kingdom of Jesus is that we don't become better. We die and become new. But we become new in intimacy with him. So the first is recognizing and hating religion. The second is renouncing it. What does that mean? 
I mean, sometimes it's not enough to just say, I know this. I actually have to act on it. We have an authority that God's given us. And sometimes we have to actually renounce out loud the hold of religion on us. Whether you've been religious or whether you've been influenced by others who've been religious. Because what we want to do is remove religion and all its tentacles. I used to... uh, Learn when I was young, pulling weeds in our yard. I just grab them and rip them up, and my mom said, "It's a waste of time if you don't get the roots." So you have to actually figure out how to pull all the roots out. How do we get the roots? How do we get the tentacles? We renounce religion. Renounce means we actually say, "I take authority over that." and break its hold on me. Where I've been religious and where I've been submitted to religion, where I've given it an authority in my life, I take authority over that now, and I take back that authority, and I renounce any place that religion has had. I'm going to ask you if you bow your head. We're going to get to the good part in a second. We're just dealing with the bad stuff. Take a moment to allow the Holy Spirit to show you. Well, you've been religious. Or where you've come under religion. I'm going to encourage you to just renounce that out loud. Lord, right now, I renounce religion and all of its hold in my life. Every place I've given authority to religious people who've had input, I break that now. I break the authority of religion, and I declare that I am free in Christ. Lord, remove the roots. Remove every tentacle. In the name of Jesus. Now, I want to tell you, for some of us, this is incredibly important. But it doesn't stop there. It stops with renewing the covenant. We're going to have communion. But before we do, let me tell you what that is. There was this whole thing in the old covenant of this Passover, a lamb that was killed in place of someone so the angel of death passed over. But in the New Testament, that's completed at the Passover. And then Jesus takes another cup and he says, this is the cup of the new covenant. And if you understand the the symbolism there, it was the equivalent of a marriage proposal. When a young man and a young woman in that, that day were going to get married, their fathers would work out the, the, all the stuff, the deal and everything, but they'd have this meal. And they'd sit down, the man and his dad and the woman and her dad. And at the end of the meal, he would take a cup and he would extend it across the table and he would say, I choose you. When Jesus took the cup after dinner, See, in the old covenant, they had a cup, 
they had uh, bread, but there was another cup that was a prophetic declaration of the Messiah to come. That's the cup he took after dinner. He took the other cup. He said, this is the cup of the new covenant. And in that marriage proposal, if the woman took the cup and drank of it, the covenant began right at that instant. He would then go build a house, prepare a place. The Bible talks about he would come again and they'd have a marriage feast, but they were in covenant, not from the marriage feast and ceremony, but from the uh, engagement. We see it differently in our culture, but they didn't. That's why when Joseph found that Mary was pregnant, he had the right to actually have her killed or put away because they were in covenant. She was unfaithful. That was obviously the Holy Spirit, so she wasn't unfaithful. And he realized that as God showed him, but he had the right to do that. And so when we take the cup, when it says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me, we're not remembering something that happened 2,000 years ago, though it is that as well, but we're remembering that we're in covenant. Don't let religion get back in. As often as you do this, let it be a reminder. I'm in covenant. And covenant meant that the one is saying, everything I have, everything I am, is now yours. But also means everything you have and everything you are is now mine. We become one. Intimacy. That's what the new covenant is about. I'm going to ask, we've got at different tables, so I'm going to ask someone to help me out because I actually want to pass it out to everyone. So whoever is close, anybody, come grab those. Uh, they tell me that the the little crackers in the white bowl are gluten-free. The black bowl is gluten. That has nothing to do with good and evil. <laughs> white and black just happen to be the color of the bowls. The good ones are gluten-free. Yes, now when you get it, just hold it if you would. Now maybe you don't know Jesus. This morning, I'm going to invite you, take the cup anyway, and hold it. And then you can make a decision whether you want to take it or not. We're giving it to you. We just stand here and look good until everyone gets some. No. <laughs> just hold on to that when you get it, if you would.
These guys in the front really need it. Do you guys up? Anyone miss out? Anyone get overlooked? Okay. Do we have enough? Huh? Babies, yes. I love babies. Religion is a counterfeit. And it doesn't bring us into relationship with God. It actually leads us to hell. So when Jesus said, this is my body, this is my blood of the new covenant. He wasn't saying, take this and join a church. Take this and become part of a religion. Christianity is not a religion. The world says it's a religion, but it's not a religion. Christianity is simply a relationship with the king of the universe. If it's been anything else to you, I want you to be free this morning. And I want you to picture sitting at a table and the king of the universe says, this is my body broken for you. He paid the penalty of sin. He took it upon himself so that we can be free. That's what that means. And it says, take it, eat it, be reminded of that sacrifice. That completed the old covenant. And then he said this, took the cup and this morning he extends it across the table to you and he says this is the cup of the new covenant my blood poured out for you and he's saying this morning I choose you I still choose you remember that that's the goodness and grace of God. We don't earn it. We don't deserve it. It's not based on our actions. The Bible says every one of us is a sinner, but while we were sinners, Christ died for us. He doesn't say change yourself, become better, and then I'll accept you. He says, no, I've chosen you, and I'll change you from the inside.
I want you to picture that this morning. Jesus extends a cup across the table and he says, I choose you. And if you respond to him, when you take it, from the moment you take it, you're in covenant with him. Say, Lord, and I choose you. take a moment be reminded be free if you're here this morning and that's the first time you've ever entered into covenant with Jesus you've actually become a follower of Jesus you haven't joined a religion or a church you become a follower of him. And we would love to pray with you. The Bible says that uh, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, all of heaven rejoices. I'd like to rejoice with you. So if that's the first time you've ever come into covenant with Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to come to the front. What? Isn't that embarrassing? Now the Bible says that uh, if we confess Jesus as Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the dead, we'll be saved. But confess doesn't mean I go to confession. I go into a little booth with a priest. It actually means I stand in front and I declare. There's something about recognizing and declaring I'm a follower of Jesus. You can't be a follower of Jesus in the quiet, in the darkness. It actually is a declaration. Because you take a stand against the enemy, you take a stand against religion, you take a stand against much of the values of the earth, of the world. But if that's you today, we'd love to pray with you. We'd love to rejoice with you. I hope it's not embarrassing to you to come to the front, but let me tell you, I'm gonna ask everyone if you'd stand with me. Everyone would stand. When it makes it easier for people to get out, if they want to. For all the rest of us, if there's been something of a breaking of religion this morning, I'm going to ask you to tell someone. Tell your husband or wife your friend. See, there's something about making a declaration. Hey, this is broken off of me. Too often we become so, it's all about internal stuff. But let me tell you, the, the Bible's all about external stuff. We, we change in the inside, but that then affects how we live. What John says is that if you don't love your brother, you're probably not even saved. That's pretty heavy-duty stuff. That's what it says. 
get that mic. Oh, oh, hello. Just as Russ was sharing that, I remembered um, Tim and Kate were at our house the other night, and he's sitting in his chair, and he gets this little look in his eye, and he looks at his little daughter, and he says something to affect the effect of, you know what time it is? Is that what you said? <laughs> something like that. And she's across the room, and this little one, Ariel, came running across the room and throws herself into Tim's arms, and they get the best hugs. You know, it was so beautiful. And I just felt like the Lord said, that's actually a picture of what I'm like. And I know maybe some of us were raised under a religious spirit, either religious parents or we've picked it up somehow. And I was. And when you're raised under that, you tend to grow up thinking that God is critical and hard and mean. And um, he's not like that at all. He wants us to be like little Ariel and run to his arms. And I just, I know it affected me even in how I showed affection. And I just felt like the Holy Spirit's wanting to take it a little bit deeper and say, you know, you need to know that I am a father that loves you so much and I want to be affectionate with you. And to some of us, especially some of you men, it's probably hard to think of God as being affectionate, but he actually is affectionate. And he wants you to experience in that. And you probably are getting a taste of that even today, but as this week goes by, to actually come to him and say, God, I want to know you as that loving father, that affectionate father. And um, for others of you who haven't actually experienced the affection, he, want, he really wants to show it to you. Peter writes, um, as, newborn, as newborn babes long for the pure milk of the word, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. So even before we long for that pure milk of the word, he wants you to taste that he is gracious, that he's loving, that he adores you, that he wants to look at you and say, you know what time it is? It's time to have time with me, you know, and get the big hug. So that's, that was my wonderful, two cents worth. Wonderful. wonderful. <laughs> We're going to uh, sing a song just to finish, just to take a moment. And what a beautiful name. And let's just... Uh, Take a, a moment of that intimacy and be reminded of that in Him.